0: Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 30, and we are recording on Wednesday, July 18th. I'm Katie McLean, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rincey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am. I'm good. I had the day off from work today. So, I, I mean, it wasn't really a day off because I still had a lot of errands to run. But, you know, nice not have to go to work in the middle of the week. Oh, that's so nice. I had like the exact opposite experience last (laughs) night for my job.
1: We had an event in the evening. And so I didn't get home until like 11 p.m., which is partially my fault just because one, I took the train into the city. So I had to wait for like the train to go back, which in the evenings, they're always only like once an hour. And then also, I like stayed in the city so I could eat something because I didn't eat anything at the event because I was working. And then I had to work a full day today. So I'm like super tired. (laughs) You're beat. (laughs) I'm very much beat. But the one pro, the thing that's keeping me going is that I'm going on vacation this weekend and leave gone for a week and I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> I saw that on Twitter. You're going to
1: Montreal, right? Yes. Oh, I'm so jealous. I've been like wanting to go to Montreal for years and I finally convinced one of my friends because my friend was like, oh, i I want to go on a trip. This summer and I was like okay what do you want to do and she's like do you want to like she knows like I want to travel everywhere so she's like do you want to do Europe this summer and I'm like Europe in the summer is so expensive so instead let's go to a fake Europe and just go to Montreal and Quebec (laughs) which is basically like Europe in North America.
0: (laughs) That's what I've heard my you know what it's funny my uh my department manager actually just came back from Montreal like the day before the fourth of July. So she oh. she just came back and uh, she brought us lots of chocolate, which I very, very much appreciated. <laughs> That's
1: literally I keep telling everyone, I'm like, I'm gonna eat a bunch of poutine Ooh. and then I'm gonna smuggle back not smuggle because it's legal, but bring <laughs> back a bunch of chocolate in my suitcase to eat for
0: like the next month. Yeah, she uh yeah she brought she brought chocolate back in Like, a week after she came back, someone was commenting. They were like, wow, you know, you guys still have a lot of chocolate left. And I was like, oh, that's because I took the last half week off for my birthday. This would not be here if I had been here the last four days.
1: (laughs) I know. I'm like, I need to pack lightly so that way I can bring as much back as possible. Like, I have family that lives in Canada. They live in, like, uh, suburbs of Toronto, basically. Um, And so, like, every time they come into town, they, like, bring chocolate, and it makes me so happy. So... Yeah, I'm very excited for that, and to drink a lot of Tim Hortons because I am going to do all of the stereotypical Canadian
0: things while I'm in Canada. I'm now now I'm trying to figure out the logistics of having you bring back a ton of poutine in your in your suitcase. <laughs> I feel like that's going to get really messy really quick. Hashtag worth it.
1: <laughs> I'm, oh. I honestly though I am really excited to eat poutine just because I've had poutine here, but I feel like. It's not the same. Like, everyone says, especially in Montreal, like, poutine is the best. So I'm excited to see, like, if I can tell a difference between what I've been eating here and what I get up there, which I'm sure I will. But I'm sure everyone, if there's any Canadians who are listening to this, they're probably, like, appalled by the idea (laughs) that Canadian poutine and American poutine would be the same. But you'll prove me wrong soon enough.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Now now I just ate dinner, but now I'm hungry for some poutine. I've I've had it where it's got, like pulled pork or like short ribs or something like this is like poutine on steroids Mm. oh so good all right well maybe we should just change this podcast to the food show (laughs) we talk about food so much (laughs) oh yeah we talk have we done a culinary mystery episode because i feel like we should oh man that's definitely one we should write down (laughs) oh my god okay we're gonna write that down. We're gonna do a culinary mystery episode, and then we have to make one of the recipes. Ooh, I love the way you think, Katie. Oh my gosh! Okay, you guys, you guys are this. This is our uh, our brainstorming in 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 action right here.
1: <laughs> I mean, this is basically what we do off the like when we're not recording. This is basically how it goes. So you guys are just seeing how the sausage is made, basically. <laughs>
0: Hey, food. Um, Anyway, so um, believe it or not, we don't just talk about food on this show. We do talk about mysteries and thrillers. Um, If this is your first episode, welcome. I promise we will get to the mysteries very shortly. Um, but yeah, so we talk about mysteries and thrillers and suspense and true crime and news items and authors and movie adaptations and themed reading lists and questions that people write in about um, that they want that they are curious about that they want us to uh uh, talk about on the show. So we talk about a little bit of every of anything and everything on here, anything goes, especially food. Um, and at the beginning of every show, we always like to extend an invitation to all of our listeners to um, write in to us with any uh, suggestions that or questions or ideas for upcoming shows because we um when we don't have awesome brainstorming sessions like the one from 30 seconds ago um a lot of times we go from questions and ideas that you guys have have uh, contacted us about so we really do appreciate all the feedback and ideas you guys have given us you guys have uh, really made this show interesting for us because we we learn a bunch of new things and discover a bunch of new books that we may not have picked up otherwise um so we re- we 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 like to keep it as dynamic as possible. So we will have our contact information at the end of the show, and um, so if you have any ideas, um, please please do let us know. Um, and then before we get into kind of the the meat of today's uh, today's episode, is going to talk to you about Shocker. Book Riot has another amazing giveaway going on. She's going to tell you all about it.
1: Yes. So for this month, uh, Book Riot is giving away $500 of the worth of the year's best YA fiction and nonfiction, which was hand selected by Kelly Jensen, who is a former young adult librarian and currently the like YA expert here. She uh, co-hosts the Hey YA podcast as and does a bunch of other like YA specific stuff for the website. Um, so there is a full list of all of the titles that you'll be receiving. Um, some of the ones on there that I personally have read and enjoyed is are include Undead Girl Gang by Lily Anderson, which I've talked about in a previous episode of the podcast. Um, My Soul Called Bollywood Life by Nisha Sharma, which I really enjoyed. It was a super cute uh, YA book. Uh, the Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo, which I absolutely adored. Um, It's a young adult book written in verse and I actually listened to it on audio but then I went and bought a physical copy too because I loved it just that much. Um, There's a lot of like really big uh, YA books that are on here including Children of Blood and Bone uh, which was just picked for like the Jimmy Kimmel Tonight Show club thing that they're doing, which I find to be very intriguing. Um, also, The Astonishing Color of After by Emily XR Pan, which I also really loved. Um, there's a variety of stuff on here, and you guys can head to bookriot.com slash 500YA giveaway, and that's 500-500. Uh, so it's bookriot.com slash 500YA giveaway to enter. You have until July 31st to enter, so if you have not Entered already, you definitely should. Even if you aren't interested in all of those books, um, they're all pretty great young adult options. So, like, you can read them, try the ones you are interested in, and maybe try some ones that you wouldn't necessarily be interested in and see if it, they surprise you. Um, you can give them away to the people in your life um, if you like end up not wanting them or if there's some on there that are you already own or anything like that. But you definitely should not sleep on this giveaway because. Where else will you get the chance to win $500 worth of the best young adult books that have come out so far this year? Um, So again, that's bookriot.com slash
0: 500YA giveaway. I, I I can't remember if I've mentioned this before. I can only imagine how much fun that list must have been to put together. I know. I feel like it's one of those things where it's like I – it's basically like you get a shopping spree.
1: Like they're like, here's $500. What would you go buy? And I feel like I would end up with like $510 worth of stuff or something like ridiculous and be like, which one would I cut? <laughs> so like that would be the situation I would be in. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so
0: cool. Um so uh, this this uh, the last couple of weeks have been a little slow in terms of news items. We uh, we have one link th- uh, that we will be posting in the show notes. It's an in depth uh, it's an in depth article about Megan Abbott, who is just at the forefront of everything going on in terms of uh, in terms of. M- Mystery novels in terms of adaptations, like she is the she is the author to talk to to talk to about all of this. So uh, the article comes from Crime Reads, and it's a really interesting look at her newest book, um, Give Me Your Hand, which we will be talking about later this episode um, and some of her earlier works and how at, how she looks at. Her, how she creates these complex characters. She talks about how she's interested in insular subcultures, and how she, she said that's kind of her weird specialty. Which, if you have read any of her books before, that is—I think—that's the perfect description uh, for for some of the overall themes she talks about, like these kind of sheltered communities that they have. All of these. Kind of unspoken rules about how about how to interact and how to be a person, and all of these secrets and betrayals and things that go on within this these tiny little uh, sheltered subcultures. And so, it's a really interesting read. We'll have, like I said, we'll have a link in the show notes. And, um, and we, like I said, we've, I mean, we've been talking about Megan Abbott for a while, the last, last couple of months, so um, I, I doubt this will be the last time that we... Uh, this will, I doubt this will be the last time that you'll hear us talk about Megan Abbott. Um, and it's, it's not... And then, in addition to that, it's not an actual news item, but I just wanted to say that I, that I have seen the first two episodes of Sharp Objects on HBO. And it is amazing. I don't know if any of you guys have started watching it, but if you have access to HBO, I highly recommend you start watching it because it is gritty and tense. And I read a review that described it as a true detective, but with women. And that's really what it feels like. And it just has the feel of the book. And it's oh, I love it. It's so cool.
1: (laughs) So fun story about Sharp Objects. Um, I was at work this week. And like, obviously, they all know that I read a lot of books. And so my coworker was like, hey, have you read Sharp Objects? And I was like, yeah, I really loved it. All this stuff. And she's like, okay, I started watching the show on HBO. Do you have you started? Or are you watching it? And I was basically like, I'm not watching it. And it's only because I don't have an HBO Go account and she's like I need someone to talk to about this so here's my HBO Go information <laughs> please watch the show but I haven't watched it yet because like like I said last night I was working so I didn't have time to watch it and obviously right now I'm recording uh <laughs> but I have it on my list of like I need to watch the show and like my coworker's have been like I need you to watch it so I can talk to you about the show so I'm very excited to have an HBO Go account information so I can watch it
0: yeah my um a, fr- a friend of mine was texting a bunch of us and she was like, yeah, she's like, I'm watching HBO right now. And she was, she was a little, uh, she was not entirely forthcoming with, with the, the details of how she got access to an HBO Go account, because I know she doesn't have one. Um <laughs> but she but she uh was she told us that she started watching it and she and she loves it and she's she's red sharp object she loves Gillian Flynn um but yeah so far the consensus that I've heard from everyone who has watched it is that they're like okay this this it feels really on point um you just feel like you're in that just that hot claustrophobic midwestern town where everyone bakes casseroles for funerals and stuff like that
1: yeah, that's one of the things I'm I've heard nothing but amazing things about it. And just for the record, HBO said themselves that they don't care if you use other people's accounts. So, you know, you're not doing anything wrong.
0: Okay. There you go. Share share account information. Be generous. Let people watch sharp objects. Oh. So um We'll get to... I want to talk about our um, our first official sponsor for this episode, which is Her Pretty Face by Robin Harding, sponsored by Scout Press. And the book, uh, it's a domestic, a chilling domestic drama featuring a stay-at-home mom, Frances Mac- Metcalf, who is struggling to stay afloat. Her troubled son is a full-time job, and she thought the day that he got accepted into the elite Forrester Academy would be the day she started living her life. Overweight, insecure, and lonely, she is desperate to fit into Forrester's world. But after a disturbing incident at the school leads the other children and their families to ostracize the Metcalf, she feels more alone than ever before. Until she meets Kate Randolph. Kate is everything Frances is not. Beautiful wealthy, powerful, and confident. And for some reason, she's not interested in being friends with any of the other Forester moms, only Frances. As the two bond over their disdain of the Forester snobs and the fierce love they have for their sons, a startling secret threatens to tear them apart. Because one of these women is not who she seems. Her real name is Amber Kunick, and she's a murderer. In her, uh, this is her follow-up to, her no- to uh, Robin Harding's novel, The Party, uh, she spins a web of lies, deceit, and betrayal asking the question, can people ever change? And even if they can, is it possible to forgive the past? So again, that is Her Pretty Face by Robin Harding. Um, they're sponsored by Scout Press, and we thank them very much for uh, sponsoring this episode.
1: Okay, I'm about to be really honest with you guys. I did not read the ad copy. I just before we started recording this episode. So I'm like listening along as you're telling me that I did not expect that twist. (laughs) of like, And like, I actually made a face like it's too bad. We're not doing like video (laughs) podcasts. Because I like made a face when you
0: said that. And I was like, Whoa, I was not prepared. Well that was my reaction when I was scanning the ad copy before we before we started recording. And it's like she, her her real name is Amber and she's a murderer. And I'm like, Well that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, so that's a book I'm gonna have on my radar now. <laughs> so yeah, that that that's a that's a descriptor that kinda grabs you by the throat. <laughs>
1: yeah. Which is something that we like here. Well, I mean, you know, books that do that, not yeah.
0: You know. Anyways, <laughs> Once again, I have to remind everyone, do not try that at home.
1: (laughs) All right. So on that note, (laughs) let's move on to the main sort of discussion we're going to have in this episode. And I'm very excited for this. Um, Basically, it's something we've been talking about and sort of teasing for a couple of months now. But we both decided uh, that we wanted to read these two sort of presidential, I'm doing air quotes around the word presidential, uh, related mysteries. And so the two that we've talked about in the past, so if you've heard us or heard episodes of this podcast before, you've heard us talk about it. The first one is The President is Missing by Bill Clinton and James Patterson. And then the second one is Hope Never Dies by Andrew Schaefer. Uh, These are two very, very different mystery books, but we thought it would just be fun to read them and to talk about them since they are both mysteries uh, that, you know, are by slash about presidents and have these sort of like famous names uh, attached to them. I Hope It Ever Dies, in case you aren't aware, is stars President uh, Obama and Vice President Biden. And it's basically like a buddy cop situation happening in that one. And obviously it's you know, like fan fiction. Um, But uh, then the Bill Clinton and James Patterson one, like when we found out Bill Clinton and James Patterson were writing a book together, I think everyone sort of did the Scooby-Doo, huh? Thing and (laughs) also was just like very intrigued. Like it's so funny because I posted about reading The President is Missing by Bill Clinton and James Patterson on my Instagram. And everyone in my life was like what is this book or like why are you reading this book or like what is happening here like because those two names are not something you expect to see on a book so um did you
0: finish both of the books katie um i finished hope never dies and i'm a little over halfway through the president is missing and i do um it it has i'm i'm Pull, I'm going through that one pretty quickly, so I anticipate I will finish that one. If not tonight, then probably tomorrow. But I am more than prepared to talk about what I've read so far.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, so I. Oh yeah, no, go ahead.
0: I was. Well, I was going to say I'm actually really interested to hear your opinion of the president is missing in particular because I think you said before you've never read a James Patterson novel before, right?
1: Yes, this is my first James Patterson book, and I had a sense of what I was getting into just because like James Patterson's such a big name so I was like okay standard like thriller mystery but like my question with it always was just sort of like is it going to appeal to me because there's a lot of like popular mystery writers who I just don't enjoy at all and the thing with this book is that I I don't think I'm going to pick up like more James Patterson necessarily after this experience but I completely flew through this book. Um, I actually read it on the 4th of July. I had the day off of work as most people do. And so I was like, this is totally appropriate for me to read on the 4th of July. And I spent the entire day reading it. It's so addictive or like there's something about the way that he writes. It's like partially the shorter chapters and partially just like the style of writing just like keeps the pages going. And I'm like, I completely see like why people love picking up these books because they're so like compulsive. Like it's basically like an action movie or like a popcorn flick or whatever you want to call it in book form. And obviously like those are very popular movies and I can see why they're also like very popular books. So like, but I don't know if you saw this or not, Katie, but I wrote a little review on Goodreads.
0: Yes, I did. And I read it out loud to Blaine earlier tonight. I said, this is hilarious.
1: (laughs) So for those of you who don't follow me on Goodreads, um, I wrote a slight review because I knew everyone was like watching me read this book. And so the entire time I'm reading this book, I was like, there's something about it that's really appealing to me. But I also just really don't like the book. Or not that I don't like it, but I'm like, it just feels like really trashy almost. And so to me... My review was basically like this book feels like the McDonald's of books where you know that it's not good, but you also really enjoy it. And sometimes you kind of crave it, but it also leaves you feeling a little bit queasy because it's kind of cheesy. (laughs) So, yeah, it's just like... I feel like there's no better metaphor for me and my experience of reading this book and reading, like, my first James Patterson than being, like, this is, like, what it's like when you're going to McDonald's where it's, like, you know, you shouldn't be eating it or you know that there's, like, better options out there. But sometimes you just really want something that's, like, greasy and full of fat and, like – or just, like, you want something quick and fun and easy and things like that. And, like, this is the perfect book for that.
0: Yeah, and I – yeah, I I laughed when I read your review because I'm, like, it's – it's not wrong (laughs) um and i it's funny because because i have i know i've I've talked a little bit i i've read one and a half james patterson novels before this and i and it's funny because i am enjoying this one a lot more than Mm. i've enjoyed the other james patterson novels that i read granted they were like the first two books in the alex cross series so they were written a while ago but i but The first one, I was like, you know, it's in, it it was, you know, just kind of a police procedural murder serial killer mystery. And I'm like, it's interesting, but I'm like, there's something about this book that's driving me bonkers. And by the time I got to the second book, I realized I, in the way he was writing made it feel like, I, I just, I just felt like he was, he was over explaining stuff and he wasn't letting the readers like infer anything for themselves. Yeah. And as part of that feels like that's, you know, just kind of his writing style, but a part of it also I felt like in those books that he didn't think the re- that his readers would pick would be able to pick up on that stuff. So I felt a, like a little bit like he was kind of dumbing it down for me and I didn't like that. But in this one, I don't get that same sense like because I I mean, I only read one and a half books and not two because I finally just gave up. I'm like I'm not reading this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, I mean, it's. I mean, it's got cheese, like you said, cheese to the max in the, yeah. in this book. This um, some I also saw a uh, a brief review. I didn't read the whole thing because I haven't finished the whole book yet. But they said, uh, as a they they're like if you if you look at this in terms of an analysis of Bill Clinton's psychology and his ego, they're like this is fascinating. Yes, <laughs> because I mean. In the the book kicks off with preparation for um, a possible impeachment hearing for the the president. Um, the uh, The Senate is threatening to to uh, have call an impeachment hearing, and I'm using totally wrong terms here. But basically, impeachment is what we need to know. And I'm like, yeah, Bill Clinton would know a few things about that, wouldn't he? <laughs> um, and the 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 president, uh, what's his John, was it, John, John, Jonathan Lincoln Duncan, I think. Yeah, it's I was, Duncan. Yeah, it's Duncan. I'm like, what's the, what's the presidential middle name? And it's like, Lincoln. Okay, yeah, that's it. Um, he is, you know, he, he's the... You know, the I think the president that we all wish we could have, you know, the one who puts America first and, you know, who stands up for what's right and has strong morals and convictions and, you know, all this stuff. Like, basically no real person ever. <laughs> like, yeah. this is what we would like the president to be, but because presidents have to be human beings, um, they're not like this. So it's kind of like, like a wish fulfillment or, like, you know, kind of like a fun fantasy, but... Um, It's, and I also have noticed throughout the book, like, there'll be, like, something will be happening or the president is going somewhere, and then all of a sudden there's, like, a paragraph or a couple paragraphs where he, the president just kind of, like, interjects with his thoughts about stuff like, um, about, you know... Like there was there was like a like half a page where he, where he he ponders the like police brutality and Black Lives Matter and stuff. And yes.
1: Was like, OK, sorry. I was like waiting to bring that up. Go yeah. ahead.
0: Though. I had a feeling that might have been what you because I, I remember you texting me on the Fourth of July. You're like, I have feelings about this book. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I started because I hadn't started reading it yet and I got to that page, I'm like, I bet that might have something to do with it. It's just it. it like, I'm, I'm 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 struggling to articulate my thoughts, so I'll let I'll let you take over for a minute.
1: Yeah. So my thing is like, so I'm when, when I was reading this book, like I would get to passages like that, or there's like a passage where he like encounters a homeless person. Yes. and. They – it's like he has this like diatribe of like things where I'm reading this section and I'm like, you know what? I agree with everything that's being said here because James Patterson or Bill Clinton or whoever is talking about like things like Black Lives Matter and how important it is to like uh, stand up for – these, like, injustices that are happening, but obviously, like, not all police officers are bad police officers, but, like, clearly there's something wrong happening in our country right now. And he goes on the, it's basically feels like he's, like, lecturing you. And I'm like, you know, even though I agree with the things that you're saying, even to me, this is coming off, like, really preachy and really forced. And, like, why is this even a section in this book? Like, part of me is, like, knowing who James Patterson's typical audience is, like, I appreciate the fact that he's willing to say things like that in his book um and you know i don't know if like everyone in his audience will necessarily agree with those things or like get upset or whatever but even for me i think it's just because like there's no subtlety or nuance in a james patterson book and topics like homelessness and topics like black lives matter require some nuance and he's just so heavy-handed that i'm like I I appreciate what you're trying to do here, but this is so terribly done. And it's not like he's saying things that are like offensive, terribly done, but I just feel like it's so heavy handed that I'm like, I don't think this is helpful in this situation. And I feel like it's just taking away from the actual mystery part of the book. So like, I was like so split on like sections like that where he just gets so preachy and you haven't gotten to the end yet and I'm not going to spoil it but there's like one chap it's like literally like the last chapter of this book that made me want to pull my hair out so I won't say any more than that we can talk about it later Katie when you're (laughs) actually done with the book uh because you'll know exactly what I'm talking about so (laughs) yeah it's like stuff like that and that's what I meant by like this book made me queasy because of all the cheese. It's like stuff like that where he gets really, really preachy. And that's even coming from someone who like agrees with the point of views that he's talking about. I'm like, oh man, this is like so cringy.
0: It's it has the subtlety of a brick wall. <laughs> Honestly, it really does. <laughs> yeah. And and I I know that, that and it's with thrillers especially, I know that a lot of thrillers are very like in the moment kind of a lot of times ripped from the headlines they're very you know it's very reflective of things going on in the moment like John Grisham has written or is writing I don't remember which one it is but one of his novels is about student loan debt like it's is they they take you know they they draw on the things that are going on at the time and so even though neither of those issues you know ne- even though neither of them play any role in the central story of the terrorism attack that they're that they're trying to stop essentially um, it it it's still it's still I feel I don't know if it's I don't know if they if they purposefully did that to like hey this is a hip current new not, not a hip thing like <laughs> Hip was not the right word, um, but this this is you know these are these are topics these are hot button topics of the time of of our time right now, and I don't know if they were put in for that purpose or what you know what exactly the purpose was for including those passages in there, because um, like I said they don't contribute to the the story, so it has nothing to do with actually pushing the actual story along. In fact, it kind of stops it temporarily. Yes. Um, And I I just in general, I have a problem with characters who are like walking from somewhere or they're they're, like they're traveling somewhere and then they have like all of these deep well-formed thoughts about just random stuff and I'm like that's not what happens and I know you've got to fill time while the while the character you know is getting from one place to another but I'm just like people don't think like that they don't have these well-formed paragraphs flitting around in their head or at least I don't and maybe I'm missing out on something but (laughs)
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's just – yeah, I was like stuff like that was like where I was experiencing like are is that typical of a James Patterson book. Like I don't know how political or not his books are and I don't know like how preachy he can get, but I can definitely tell it's like because he's so – heavy handed at times that it's like I feel like the topics aren't done justice the way that he might want them to but I could be completely wrong it could be that like because people are used to a certain style of writing if James Patterson maybe approaches a topic a certain way that they might have a different thought about it than they might have before I don't know but there are parts like when you were talking about your experiences with previous James Patterson books and you talk about how he gets really, like, Mm over-explainy. I think you just haven't gotten to a certain part of the book yet because there's, like, a part where he goes into very long and deep details about, like, how the internet works. Oh,
0: no, no, no. I just finished that part. Okay. Um, I think literally, like, 15 (laughs) minutes before I logged on to record this episode.
1: I was like, I understand, like, not everyone knows, like, what IP addresses are, but, like, I
0: also don't know if you need to explain to everyone what IP
1: addresses are and how they work.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's one thing that I think can go either way. Because I mean, I grew up on Michael Crichton novels. And I mean, he but he's explaining stuff that no layperson is going to uh, is going to understand. So like the tone kind of captures that, that uh, captures what I remember from reading Michael Crichton novels as, as a middle schooler. But yeah, some of this stuff I was like, all right. I don't know that we need to spend that much time on this particular concept. Yes. Let, let's move it along, shall we? Um, but and I know um, in my my last thought before we move on to to our Obama Biden buddy mystery is I you know I I haven't read interviews that uh, Patterson and Clinton have given about the writing process, so I don't know what I'm sure they've been asked who wrote what or how did you collaborate or how much is James Patterson or Bill Clinton, I'm sure they have an answer that they're giving. I want to know the real answer. (laughs) Because I have a feeling that whatever answer they've given to the press is not actually how the book was written. Um, And I just, I want to know the real, (laughs) I want to know, I I, I just want to know who really wrote, like, what sections or who really did the bulk of, the bulk of the writing. So. Yeah. I would be, I would, like,
1: pay some good money for that. I mean, good money in terms of like what I actually have is not very much for compared to James Patterson and Bill Clinton. So that probably means nothing. Um, but yeah, I would definitely be intrigued like that. I, honestly, part of – I mean, I know Bill Clinton has written books, but part of me is also like – I wonder if he was just like, here are all of the political things that like you need to make sure you get right. Mm-hmm. So he like wrote those sections and then James Patterson was writing more of like the standard mystery – thriller sections that i could totally yeah see that's my that. guess
0: that that that's probably yeah that's probably my guess because there are some chapters i'm like yeah i don't think bill clinton would have written this part
1: yeah exactly <laughs>
0: uh, okay so yeah i guess on onto our our next uh presidential <laughs> our our, pre- our presidential duo <laughs> obama and biden yeah it's it it's 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 well-written fan fiction well yes. w- well written obama biden friend fan fiction
1: <laughs> yeah it's very much a bromance uh it, it, i was i can just like start with like my impressions of yeah, the book i will it. admit from the beginning like i at the beginning i was having a little bit of a hard time with it because every time like the way that he writes obama and biden like biden feels a little bit more like real life bite into me, Obama feels like not what Obama feels like in real life. And so there came a point where I was reading this book where I felt like I wasn't enjoying it as much because I was like, this isn't what Obama talks like. And this isn't how he acts Not as if I actually know him. But, um, like just based on like, obviously like his presence that he's given off, you know, following his candidacy for a number of years and whatever. Um, I was like, that's not how President Obama acts. But there like, came a point where I had to make the decision where I was like, okay, I need to remember that this is fan fiction. And fan fiction is not always 100% accurate. <laughs> Shock and awe, I'm sure, to everyone who's <laughs> listening to this. Um, and they like, obviously, like he's taking certain liberties and he wants to write a very specific type of story. And so I just had to like switch off that part of my brain. And then from that point forward, I was like just having fun with the story because it is just like an outlandish, fun not, I mean, it's a, it's kind of a darker mystery to be honest, which I was not expecting. Um, but yeah, it's just sort of like when you're watching, I don't know, like Grey's Anatomy, like you can't sit there analyzing like the medical stuff of the show. Like you just need to have fun with it and enjoy the drama between the characters, which is like basically what you have to do with Hope Never Dies as well.
0: Yeah. Um, when I first started reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, apparently Joe Biden's got a little bit of an emo streak going on. <laughs> yeah, right. Because, I mean, the book opens and, I mean, on the back, um, it doesn't, uh, it's not giving anything away, but, you know, it's shortly its shortly after um, Obama's left office and Biden is feeling sad and rejected because his his best friend Obama is going out water skiing with Bradley Cooper and all of the and, and like hanging out with celebrities and he feels and he feels dejected and and it's in kind of like a it's it's like you know it's like a, when a grumpy old man feels dejected like he ha- he has feelings but he doesn't really talk about them to anyone yeah <laughs> he's just like i i, I think i was, and then there was another thing that said like you know it's got like noir elements to it and i'm like I mean, if noir included like lots of references to Biden's love of ice cream, sure. <laughs> Which I only remembered, and like I am, I am right. Like Biden does, like has an ice cream thing, right? Like that's yeah, that's, he does. Okay, because I, I, I realized after like the second or third time they mentioned, it, I was like, oh wait a minute, that's a thing, isn't it? Um, so if so, yeah, there. Be prepared for lots of for lots of mentions of ice cream, um, but. <laughs> it it has kind of like that jaded kind of surly grumpy feel to it yeah that noir kind of kind of has like um and you know they'll be investigating you know they'll the two of them will be investigating something and then all of a sudden biden biden's like you never text me anymore <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, we're we're, we're going to go down this road for a little bit. All right. Um it, and it's it's silly. Um the mystery the mystery itself is is interesting. It it um it deals with the with the death of of Biden's favorite Amtrak conductor who dies in a suspicious accident, and they believe that um, that the conductor was selling uh, was selling drugs, and then talks about the um, op- opioid epidemic um, and just. Kind of, kind of some of these other elements. It's kind of, kind of a, like you said, a darker, kind of a seedier mystery. Um, this isn't, you know, this this isn't like a hey, who killed the the local school marm in the town baking contest or something like that. It's a little, it's a little bit grittier. Um, but yeah, it was. I it took it took me a little bit to get into it because, like you said, it it does have a fan fiction feel, and that's not my my preferred. Uh, style of writing or my preferred tone, but by the middle of it, I'm like, you know what, this is fun. Like, I finished, I finished the last half of it in like in like one or two pretty lengthy sittings, and um, I don't know if this is going to be a series. I kind of feel like it has to be, yeah, <laughs> um, because y- you just you just have to. Um, so I don't know if we'll be getting any more of these, but I mean, for what it is. It's fun. And also, th- this cover is just, I mean, we've talked about the cover. We've described the cover. I hope all of you guys have seen the cover. This is going to draw in so many people. Yeah. We, um, my I, co worker suggested this book as a purchase at our library. And the, our... Um, the librarian who purchases books for, for the library. Um, you know, she handles all of the incoming, uh, the incoming form. So we send a message to her at the bottom of the form that just said, just look at the cover. And we send a link to the Amazon page. And she emailed us back and she's like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Thank you so much. I'm ordering this immediately.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, like this is a book where it's, I feel like if you're in the mood for a very specific type of mystery where if you just want something like super fun, super like turn your brain off and just have like a crazy time sort of thing, this is this is such a fun mystery to read and like it's well written in terms of like the mystery itself, it'll keep you hooked. Like I didn't really see what happened like the who done it part of it. Like I didn't see any of the ending coming and things like that. And it is kind of nice to just like remember all of the random Obama-Biden memes and see how they're, like, referenced throughout. Like, I think the more that you followed the internet side of, like, Obama and Biden's bromance, uh, the more that you'll enjoy the mystery because he does make a lot of references to, like, things that have happened, um, like, just on the internet or things that have been referenced over the years and stuff like that. So, yeah. I mean, I thought, it, yeah, again, it's just, like, fun. And, like, I think that these are, like, the these two mysteries that we've talked about are so like very different. Um, But I think that both of them are really fun, like turn your brain off almost sort of summertime beach reading books. So I don't think like I've been telling everyone, I was like, if they intrigue you, like just get them from the library because there's no you're not going to like be out the $20 or whatever it is. um, And you'll still have a fun time.
0: Yep. I, to- I totally, totally agree with that. Um, and yeah, just kind of realizing that a lot of my reading over the last couple of weeks has been very much like, turn your brain off kind of thing. Even my movie watching, like we just went to see the new Jurassic World movie. Ooh. And that that was another to kind of like, just turn your brain off. You're gonna you're gonna get a fun dinosaur movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, that's sometimes is just what you need. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Nope, not at all. All right. So that was fun. Um, <laughs> so before we move on, I have our second sponsor for this video, and that is The Con Artist by uh, Fred Van Lenti. Uh And this was published by QuirkBooks. Books. And so this is pretty appropriate to have this as a sponsor right now as we are heading into San Diego Comic-Con weekend, I think it is. I don't remember how long Comic-Con is anymore. Um. So this book follows comic book artist Mike Masson, who arrives at San Diego Comic-Con expecting just another con and maybe a chance to reunite with his ex-wife. But when his rival is murdered, he becomes the prime suspect. To clear his name, Mike will have to navigate to every corner of the con from intrusive fans and obsessive collectors to, to the world's slowest chase scene down the aisles of a Hall H. In the process, he unravels a dark secret behind one of the industry- most legendary creators. With 10 illustrations and an unconventional setting, the con artist is perfect for comic fans and mystery lovers alike. Um, so Fred Fred Van Lenti um, is the number one New York Times best-selling writer of comics like The Amazing Spider-Man that Pool versus The Punisher and Archer and Armstrong. So if you read comics, his name might sound familiar to you. Um, The illustrations that come in the book are from Alex Segura, who is the acclaimed author of Blackout and had, oh, I'm sorry, I totally misread that. He actually blurbed the book. Um, And he said that this is a fast paced, impossible to put down novel. Um, The illustrations come from Tom Fowler, um, who is a comics veteran and apparently the illustrations in the book include uh, clues for the mystery itself so while you're reading along you can follow along with that Um, so if you are a fan of like comics and comic cons and things like that as you and you also enjoy mysteries
0: then you can pick up the con artist by fred van lenty and another interesting thing about that, uh, they're published by Quirk Books, who also published Hope Never Dies.
1: I know. They sent me both of these books because I asked for Hope Never Dies, and they're like, hey, you might like this one as well.
0: Yeah, I, um, I got on their mailing list. I, when I asked them, I said, hi, can I have a physical copy of Hope Never, Never Dies? Also, I like a lot of your books. Can you please put me on your mailing list? <laughs> and, and she was like, sure. We, lo- we love adding librarians to our mailing list. I'm like, oh, good. um yeah if if you are not familiar with quirk books in general they publish really fun geeky mystery fantasy horror pop culture type of stuff they've they've got a really interesting um they've got a really interesting backlist so i do recommend that you guys look into quirk books they're fun um i
1: like oh sorry no 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 go
0: go right for it i was about to jump in the next section (laughs)
1: Oh, yeah. I was just going to say really quickly, uh, you may have or you in terms of like our listeners um, may have seen like the book Horror Store, which was really popular when it came out a couple of years ago now, uh, which looks like an Ikea catalog. And it's a horror story that takes place in basically an Ikea. So, yeah, if Mm -hmm. you have seen that one, it's they publish that one. And so they do sort of like similarly these like really fun sort of quirky, geeky mysteries.
0: And uh, oh, and they also did Miss Peregrine, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So Quirk Books, they're awesome. Um, okay. So uh, so I've got the new releases for this week. Um, the first one I have a, I have an arc of this sitting on my shelf, and gosh darn it, I'm going to get around to reading this soon because this one sounds totally up my alley. It's called Baby Teeth by Zoya Stage, and that uh, is actually already out. Came out on the 17th. It is a battle of wills between mother and daughter that reveals the frailty and falsehood of familial bonds in this tense novel of psychological suspense. Afflicted with a chronic debilitating condition, Suzette Jensen knew having children would wreak havoc on her already fragile body. Nevertheless, she brought Hannah into the world, pleased and proud to start a family with her husband, Alex. Estranged from her own mother, Suzette is determined to raise her beautiful daughter with the love, care, and support she was denied. But Hannah proves to be a difficult child. Now seven years old, she has yet to utter a word despite being able to read and write. Defiant and antisocial, she refuses to behave in kindergarten classes, forcing Suzette to homeschool her. Resentful of her mother's rules and attentions, Hannah lashes out in anger, becoming more aggressive every day. The only time Hannah is truly happy is when she's with her father. To Alex, she's willful and precocious, but otherwise the perfect little girl doing what she's told. Suzette knows her clever and manipulative daughter doesn't love her. She can see the hatred, and jealousy in her eyes. And as Hannah's subtle acts of cruelty threaten to tear her and Alex apart, Suzette fears her very life may be in grave danger. I love books with sociopathic little children. <laughs> um, and this, I have heard nothing but rave reviews about this book. It is supposed to be super creepy If you like domestic psychological suspend, if you also enjoy stories about sociopathic little children, this you will definitely need to pick this book up. And again, that is Baby Teeth by Zoya Stage.
1: I saw an Entertainment Weekly blurb about this book, and I don't know if you saw this one, Mm -hmm. but they – described it as like obviously take it with a grain of salt because like it's a blurb like comparing it to other books but they said it's like we need to talk about kevin meets gone girl with a dash of the omen and i was like holy cow what a combination
0: oh, 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 oh man <laughs> that is oh my gosh that, that that was that entire description was just like written up and packaged specifically for me <laughs> Oh my goodness. So the next book we have already talked about, I've already mentioned earlier uh, in this episode is Give Me Your Hand by Megan Abbott. Um, that book is finally out. It came out yesterday or on the 17th. So you can pick up a copy if you not if you have not already done so. And uh, this is um, in the insular subculture that she looks at here is uh, the kind of the world of science and STEM fields and women in science. Uh, Kit Owens harbored only modest ambitions for herself when the mysterious Diane Fleming appeared in her high school chemistry class, but Diane's academic brilliance lit a fire in Kit and the two developed an unlikely friendship until Diane shared a secret that changed everything between them. More than a decade later, Kit thinks she's put Diane behind her forever and she's begun to fulfill the scientific dreams Diane awakened in her. But the past comes roaring back when she discovers that Diane is her competition for a position both women covet, taking part in groundbreaking new research led by their idol. Soon enough, the two former friends find themselves locked in a dangerous game of cat and mouse that threatens to destroy them both. Um, If you have read Megan Abbott, any of her books before you probably have an idea of what to expect from this and i have not read it yet it is of course very high on my list but um complicated characters really um kind of kind of a slow burn plot that just that just kind of like seeps into your brain as as you watch as as these as these people clash with each other, um, and especially in such a complicated situation as um, not only professional women but professional women in a STEM field, um, which is already fraught with um, with issues of. Sexism and you know, women just not women not being well represented, and the competitiveness. Um, there's a part in the article that I mentioned earlier in the show where she talks about how she, um, how she talked to, um, she interviewed scientists as she was writing this book to get an idea of what that world really feels like, and they talked about how competitive. Um, if you're applying for grants or research money, and how just how cutthroat it can really be. So. I am super excited to read this one, and again, is "Give Me Your Hand" by Megan Abbott. And then for next week, we have um, historical true crime coming out on the twenty fourth. That is "Blood and Ivy: The eighteen forty nine Murder That Scandalized Harvard" by Paul Collins. And in eighteen forty nine, November eighteen forty nine, in the heart of Boston, one of the city's richest men simply vanished. Dr. George Parkman, a Brahmin who owned much of Boston's West End, was last seen that afternoon visiting his alma mater, Harvard Medical School. Police scoured city tenements in the harbor and offered hefty rewards as leads put the elusive Dr. Parkman at sea or hiding in Manhattan. But one Harvard janitor held a much darker suspicion that their ruthless benefactor had never left the medical school building alive. His shocking discoveries in a chemistry professor's laboratory engulfed America in one of its most infamous trials. The Commonwealth of Massachusetts versus John White Webster. A baffling case of red herrings, grave robbery, grave robbery and dismemberment of Harvard's greatest doctors investigating one of their own for a murder hidden in a building full of cadavers. It became a landmark case in the use of medical forensics and the meaning of reasonable doubt. Paul Collins brings 19th century Boston back to life in vivid detail, weaving together newspaper accounts, letters, journals, court transcripts and memoirs from this groundbreaking case. Rich in characters and evocative in atmosphere, Blood and Ivy explores the fatal entanglement of new science and old money in one of America's greatest murder mysteries." And you know, rinsey how you before where you said you hadn't re- you hadn't fully read the ad copy, and you were like, oh, and you were taken taken aback by the hook for our first sponsor. I realized I had not scanned all of this completely either. When they said red herring's grave robbery and dismemberment, I was like, oh, well, say. <laughs> <laughs> this looks pretty intense. So, um, and I I am a sucker for historical true crime, like like especially the really dark ones, because there is some dark stuff that that happened way back when, before, especially before DNA was able to track down uh, some of some of these some of these murderers. So this this one seems really interesting. Um, and again, that is Blood and Ivy, the 1849 murder that scandalized Harvard by Paul Collins.
1: Yeah. I was 100% into you reading that book. I was like, oh, this is totally ringing my bells right now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So to wrap up the episode, uh, I will start off talking about things that I have currently read and I am kind of on a roll right now. I feel like I need to like knock on wood right now because I've been reading some really great books and it's making me so very happy. Um, So I finished reading *The Feather Thief* by Kirk W. Johnson. I put this on hold whenever it was that it first came out. I remember like Katie, you talking about it on the podcast and being me being like, "Oh my gosh, I need to get this book right away." I put it on hold and it like felt like it took forever for me to finally get a copy. I don't know if my library was just really slow about ordering it or what, um, but as soon as I got it, I like literally dropped everything and started reading it, and it's so good. Um, so if you aren't aware, this is a nonfiction book. And it's basically about this guy who robs a natural history museum in England. He steals the birds. Uh, he steals a hand like a specific set of birds because these the feathers of these birds are very valuable for people who are like fly fishing enthusiasts I suppose is what you would call them Um, so there are if you aren't aware uh, there are people out there who are really obsessed with like the tying and making of like the flies that you use in fly fishing they don't necessarily like actually go fly fishing they just really enjoy sort of the aspect of like making the flies and there are very specific types of like feathers and decorations, I suppose you could call them, uh, that you can add to the flies. And so there are these specific birds that have like really beautiful feathers that were known during Victorian times. Um, And then eventually like because they're hard to get and also because like the birds were like going extinct and things like that, um, it basically became impossible to find the feathers of these birds to be able to use for fly fishing. And so like If you're part of the fly fishing community, uh, people will randomly like sell the feathers either that they've had or they like go to – antique stores and try to find like vintage, like really vintage stuff um, that might potentially have these feathers, stuff like that. And so this guy basically gets this idea of like robbing this natural history museum that has like hundreds of these different types of birds. um, And then he can like slowly sell off either the whole bird or the feathers um, and make money. Um, It's such a just completely bonkers story. Like it's uh, like, I'm only like scratching the surface. So many things happen in this book. And this book is like only like 200, 250 pages long. Um, But there are so many just complete plot twists that happen. Um, It's really nice because the book is split up into three sections. The first section is all about like the history of these birds and like using feathers as like fashion pieces and the history of sort of the feathers and things like that um, so it provides sort of like this really interesting natural history background the second part of the book is about the heist and about the person I forget his name Edwin I want to say it is um, who does the heist um, it talks about like him growing up and becoming obsessed with fly fishing and becoming obsessed with these feathers and things like that and him doing the heist and how it all went down and then the last third of the book is a uh, follows like the author of this book um, he basically starts fly fishing because of some stuff that he does it as like a way to escape. um, He was going through like hard times and stuff like that. Um, So he hears the story of this guy who did this heist. And so he starts looking into it and he realizes that there's, still so much of the case was left unsolved um, just because it was like the small town in England. And so they didn't really have the resources to put as much like manpower behind it um, to recover all of the birds and pelts that were stolen. Um, So he starts to become like really obsessed with this case and tries to figure out what exactly happened. And like, yeah, it's just, it's so fascinating. Like this sounds so like, I feel like every time I'm talking about this book with people, it sounds so like nerdy and like weird. And like, obviously it is, but it's so well written and so fascinating. And like the entire time I was reading the book, I was like, this should be a heist movie, but there's no way that anyone in Hollywood would be able to like pitch this well enough to make it a good heist movie because it's so outlandish and like so niche in terms of topic but i just loved it so so much um so again that's the feather thief by kirk w johnson if you like true crime if you like heist stories pick this book up it's so good and so wonderful and so much fun I am so happy you like that book as
0: much as I did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. Part of me was slightly concerned when I first started reading it because so many people at Book Riot have been talking about it, I feel like. Um, and then when I first started it, it was like in the natural history part. And I'm like, yeah, this is interesting. But, you know, I'm not like loving it. And then I got to like the actual heist part. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't put this book down. I like legitimately finished it in like, two two days yeah
0: I mean it's not very long but I like flew through that book yeah it's i I love this book so much and i I was so excited I got to write about it for the best books of the year so far in our book riot article um so yeah I mean that's that is how much I loved this book you know I love dark disturbing and all this stuff and the best book that I've read so far is about the theft of dead birds yeah <laughs>
1: I mean, that's a little disturbing if you certain angles. So Um, all right. So the second book that I wanted to mention really quickly is kind of true crimey. It's a nonfiction like journalistic sort of book. And it's called Bad Blood uh, by John Carrier, Um, and the subtitle to this book is Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup. And so this is a new, relatively new release. It came out earlier this year, and it follows the saga behind Elizabeth Holmes and her company called Theranos, which, side note, I keep wanting to say Thanos, and I'm like, no, it's not the villain <laughs> from Avengers. <laughs> that they're talking about in this book. Anyways, um, so if you haven't heard, Elizabeth Holmes was sort of this tech wonderkin almost. Um, She was a Stanford dropout and she decides to start a company where she wants to make it like, less intrusive to take, like, blood samples and also to be able to test for things at home. And, like, she wanted to create, like, this tech device where, like, it would take, like, a tiny drop of blood and be able to test for a bunch of different things. And then if there was anything sort of, like, out of whack with your blood, if any of, like, you know, your potassium's too high, your cholesterol's off the charts, something along those lines, it would notify your doctor. And so they can make Whatever adjustments are needed, and this would be like supposed to be really good for people who are currently on medication. That if like maybe they start a new medication, the doctors can immediately see sort of what was happening to them and make adjustments as needed and things like that. And it's supposed to, it was supposed to be this like really revolutionary thing. Um, she raised so much money for it. It took like I think I don't remember the exact year she started the company. Um, it was in like twenty. 10 I want to say or right around that time and for a number of years she was like working on this device with a handful of other people and it's it she basically conned so many people into believing that she was creating a device that worked they kept cutting corners in places and they kept um just not being honest with anyone about what was actually happening with the device but it's partially like uh sh- it, like when you're reading the story it's just so unbelievable the things that happened basically like spoiler alert um sh- they end up getting like over a billion dollar valuation but it turns out that all of it is a fraud because they haven't been reporting to the FDA properly the all of the testing and like whatever scientific things that have been going on with it they've been like either cutting corners or somehow lying or like not showing full results for things and all of this different stuff with their devices or they're using other companies devices as like partial testing so that way their results don't seem as out of whack and it's just the most Just unbelievable story. Like the delusion that these people have about their device and their company is... Off the charts, like Elizabeth Holmes and the other people who were in charge of the company are just completely like anytime anyone would bring up any problems that they were having either with the device or just in general with the company, they would just immediately become hostile and either like push them out or fire them outright or anything along those lines. They made everyone sign like these massive non-disclosures so that way like all of these problems that were happening in the company, like they – these. Uh, The people who work there weren't allowed to talk about it. And so it and it started it escalated to such a point where it's like people's lives are in danger because these are supposed to be medical testing devices. And eventually, like people started like secretly telling other people about the problems that they're having. And so John Carreyrou works for the Wall Street Journal and he's the one who broke the story that eventually came out. I think it was like in 2015 um, about Theranos and how they were basically just a complete fraud and how like Elizabeth Holmes was like such a big deal if you paid attention to the tech world for like three, two to three years. Um, She was like looked at as this wonderkin. She was also like, you know, one of the only female CEOs in Silicon Valley. So people held her up on a pedestal for that reason. Um, Everyone in this who talked to Jerry, sorry, John Kerry Rue for this book talks about like how like, mesmerizing she is like she's this beautiful blonde woman with piercing blue eyes and everyone talked about how like when she talked to you or talked to you she like stared at you with this intensity and she would talk in a way that like you would get completely swept up and everything that she was saying um she had like huge names as a part of like the board of Theranos like Henry Kissinger was on her board which I was like wait what (laughs) like how does that even happen um yeah, it's just one of those stories where it, like this is partially it feels like true crimey because it's you're watching John Kerry Rue sort of put the pieces together of like what actually happened in this company. And like I had been following it relatively loosely um, just because I originally I thought that the, like if this product worked, this was going to be a very big deal. Um, and then sort of seeing the hype like really, really build as she kept getting profiled in these major companies. Uh, publications. And then I saw like the Wall Street Journal articles that eventually came out about it and was like, so shocked by it. But like this book is still even more shocking because you get the inside scoop of what was actually happening in the company and the completely just ridiculous ways they ran it. it. this book and I listened to this on audio too and I could not stop listening. I listened to this in like 2 days, which is shocking for me with audiobooks because usually I'm just like very in and out with audiobooks and I could not stop listening to this book because I needed to know. Like I knew how it all ended, but I still needed to know like how this all just happened. It's great. It's so I can't I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I was like Silicon Valley such a like weird place to me in general in terms of like how much value they give to certain things uh, prior to them actually performing <laughs> properly. Uh, but this was just
0: above and beyond anything else I've seen before. Well, I'm adding that one to my list. <laughs> you <laughs> sold me on that one. I sold you on Feather Thief. You sold me on Bad Blood.
1: <laughs> yeah, honestly. And if you have the chance to do it on audio, I highly recommend it. Uh, but I've heard that like in print, it's just as um, addicting. So yeah, again, that's Bad Blood by John Carreyrou. And then really quickly, um, I started reading Give Me Your Hand by Megan Abbott. I got an arc of this, a uh, digital arc of this a while ago, and I like didn't realize how soon it was coming out. And so after i had finished Bad Blood, um, I didn't know what I wanted to read next. And I was feeling sort of that like book hangover because like Bad Blood was so intense, but um, And then I saw someone post about Give Me Your Hand, and I was like, oh, that comes out this week. And then I went, oh, I have it. And so I started it. And I'm about a third of the way through, and I'm really, really enjoying it. So yes, that is what I'm currently reading.
0: Yeah, I... um... For the stuff that I've been reading, a lot of this is stuff that I've finished up that I've mentioned on previous shows, so I can go through that really quickly. Um, I finished Shiny Broken Pieces by Sona Potra and Danielle Clayton, which I talked about in the last episode. It's the sequel to Tiny Pretty, Th- Tiny Pretty Things, uh, Black Swan meets Pretty Little Liars. It's excellent. The second book is just as good, if not better than the first one, because the characters change and develop and grow. And I I loved it to pieces. So good. Um, I I, I finished I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara, which I started, um, I think, last month, and then uh, had to put it to the side because other things that I needed to read kind of got in the way. Um, But I did finish it and what I, I highly I mean, it the it the hype is real. The that book is amazing and it's creepy and intense and it's so it's so sad that she didn't get to see her hard work pay off. Um, and what I did with the book was, as soon as I finished reading it, I pulled up. I did a Google search for the um, for the Golden State Killer since he was captured a few months ago, um, and read a bunch of the the news articles about his capture. And um, there isn't a ton of information out, but um, it's it was so interesting to kind of have that as like an unofficial epilogue, um, and to see you know kind of what you know the things that they had been researching while she was writing the book and the, the the ways they were trying to hone in on the, on the, the killer and to see the ways that they got it right and ways in which their profile may have, may have not have been entirely accurate. But, um, so I, I do recommend that if you haven't read the book, read it and then, and then read the news articles. Um, and so I'll be gone in the dark, Michelle McNamara. And then I finished Meg uh, by Steve Alton, which is the book based on the movie that is coming out next month about the giant Megalodon that goes all jaws on everyone. And it is just as mindless and silly as as I mentioned before, and it was everything that I needed in a book. I loved it. I loved it to pieces. It was so outlandish and ridiculous and over the top. And I, oh my gosh, I don't know why I needed that so badly, but I did. And I am so happy that I got to listen to that. Um, So if you're looking for kind of, and I mean this in the best way possible, if you're looking for just kind of like a big dumb monster story, Meg by Steve Alton, oh my gosh, so good. Um, And then in terms of what I'm going to be starting, um, I've got a few different options, but one of them that I just recently um, got an ARC for is this new book that's coming out called Hashtag Fashion Victim by Amina Akhtar. That is, gosh, I've seen it as, was it Devil Wears Prada meets Heather's I've seen Devil Wears Prada meets American Psycho. Um, it's supposed to be kind of like a dark, ton- tongue-in-cheek look at the world of the fashion industry. And it I've, I have a feeling that this, this is going to hit, this is, this is going to ring a lot of my bells. Um, so I will hopefully be picking that up soon again. That is hashtag, hashtag is in the title. The, the actual symbol, hashtag fashion victim by Amina Akhtar.
1: Yeah, I got an arc of that one too. I'm very excited to read it. Like I saw the pitch of Devil Wears Prada meets American Psycho and I was like, yes, <laughs> sign me up. Give me it immediately. Yep. <laughs> All right. So that's our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. Head over to the Rudder Dead page. There will be links to all of the books that we talked about in this episode, as well as the news article that we mentioned at the top, um, as well as links to our sponsors and to the Book Riot YA giveaway. So make sure you guys are entering that as well. Um, If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us out a whole lot. Um, If you leave reviews for us and it'll help booster our visibility on apple Podcasts, so that way other people can discover us if you want to send us an email you can give us uh suggestions for future episodes or if you just want to talk to us about various mysteries and thrillers people have done that as well you can email us at red or dead at bookriot.com otherwise you can find me on twitter and instagram i am at rincey a and i am on twitter at kt underscore library lady We will talk to you guys again next time. Bye. Bye.